All right, Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verses 15 through 21. As I said last time, <clears throat> I'm saving the submission until after the new year. So if you're looking forward to that, you're going to have to wait. <laughs> it's anticipation, right? You know, isn't that the, you remember the old uh, Heinz ketchup song, right? You know, the ditty when you're sitting there waiting for the ketchup to come down, it's so thick, and they start singing anticipation. So, um, we are going to talk about submission very briefly, uh, and hopefully to whet your appetites for uh, verses 22 and following. But let's look at verse 15 through 21 in Ephesians chapter 5, where there Paul writes, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So as we continue our study through Ephesians uh, we are in that practical section, in, uh, which starts in chapter 4, verse 1, and works its way through the end of the book. Uh, Ephesians is kind of nice that way in that it splits right down the middle. <laughs> uh, so the first three chapters uh, tell us about all the blessings, the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. And then the last three chapters tell us how we then are to live in light of those spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. And everything from chapter 4, verse 1... And really, I'm just going to say up to chapter 5, verse 21, is talking about what Paul calls in chapter 4, verse 1, the worthy walk, where he says there, I beseech you, I urge you, I exhort you, I encourage you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Everything from that point on is just explaining what that means. It's kind of like when you, if you remember when we were in Romans, and Romans chapter 12, verse 2 talks about how we are to, or chapter 12, verse 1, talks about how we are to present ourselves as a living sacrifice uh, in light of the mercies of God. And really everything from chapter 12, verse 1 to chapter 15, verse whatever, is fleshing that out, fleshing out what it means to be a living sacrifice. Well, here, Paul is just fleshing out what it means to have a worthy walk, a fitting walk. And I think that's the better translation, because worthy makes it sound like it's something you have to earn. Fitting just makes it sound as it's something that is correct, something that is proper for one who is in Christ. So, Again, all of this flows out of the fact that we are in Christ. All of this flows out of the fact that we are united to Christ by grace through faith. Right? Let's not um, confuse that issue. Chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, very clear. It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We are not earning our salvation by the worthy walk. Okay? It is, it is the fruit of our salvation. Because we have been saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, we walk worthy. It is the result. It is what the Spirit now is working in us. And we're going to flesh that out a little bit um, uh, this morning as we look at this passage here. 
So last time we looked at, you know, we, we've been kind of, Paul uses this word walk, which is just a euphemism to talk about our Christian life. So we have a worthy walk, which is a unified walk. We saw in chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 6. It is a, um, a walk in love, which we saw in chapter 5, verse 1. It is a walk in light. Uh, so we walk in the light because uh, we are children of light, chapter 5, verse 8. And now we're going to see it as a wise walk or a walk in wisdom, chapter 5, verse uh, 15. That we walk, uh, New King James there has circumspectly. Just kind of a weird, well, I'm not just saying it's not a weird word. Um, it's just not a word we use a lot. How many people have you know, used the word circumspectly in the last month? <laughs> Uh, I have not, you know, I don't think I've used that word in the last, I don't know how many years until I, you know, read this. So it's not a word that is n normal for our vocabulary. So you may have, and I think the ESV has carefully, right? Is that what it says there in chapter 5, verse 15? Carefully. In fact, if you have a new King James, you might have a footnote that says carefully. So you're like, well, why didn't they put carefully in there? I don't know. <laughs> It's the new King James. It's probably following the old King James. And maybe the old King James used the word circumspectly because back in 16th century, that was how they talked. Circumspectly. People are like, oh, yeah, circumspectly. They probably used it 10 times uh, before they ate breakfast in the morning. So anyway, none of this has anything to do with walking circumspectly. I'm just kind of ranting there for a little bit. But chapter 5, verse 15, it is a walk of wisdom. It is one in which we are to not walk as fools, but as wise. That's what he says there in verse 15. So that's what we're going to look at. And really, as I said here, this kind of concludes the worthy walk section because what you see in chapter 5, verse 22, through chapter 6, verse 9, fleshes out what Paul says in chapter 5, verse 21, where he says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. And then he says, he, he explains how that looks in the family, in a marriage, uh, between parents and children, between masters and servants. And then, um, and then the rest of the book talks about our spiritual warfare. So um, he concludes, if you will, here, this idea of the worthy walk in this passage we're looking at here. So he's going to conclude this, and he's going to show that the worthy walk is a wise walk that is careful, understanding, and spirit-filled. Now, you might have a fourth point on your handout. Um, that really should be a third point. But I broke it out because, again, it's going to lead into what we're going to see going forward. So, uh, but we're not going to talk a lot about that. Uh, but the worthy walk is a wise walk. It is a walk in wisdom that is careful, understanding and spirit-filled. And those are our three points. So first, in verses 15 and 16, it is a careful walk. Where again, Paul there says, See then that you walk carefully or circumspectly, uh, not as fools, but as wise. Now that word that is translated carefully or circumspectly is the word that it means to walk uh, accurately, to walk diligently, to walk uh, exactly, okay? How many people here have seen the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark from 1981? Okay, Raiders of the very first Indiana Jones movie. So if you remember in that movie, the very beginning, right, he's in the jungles of South America, and he's looking for that little gold idol, right, and it's, it's you know, leads into that great classic scene where the big boulders chasing him all as if you remember as he's going through 
the, the, the cave there, right? He sees the light, and he walks carefully. Don't walk into the light, right? And he avoids that, and then he crosses over that little uh, ravine, and then he comes to a little room where this, the, the idol is at the end, and his assistant's like, oh, it's right there. Let's just go there. He stops him. And he's like, no, we got to walk carefully because there's probably traps here, right? And he, he figures out, right, that there's little, these little pressure traps in the floor that the little darts shoot at him. So as he's walking, he's walking very carefully and making sure he doesn't step on the wrongs. I think that's kind of what Paul's saying here. Walk carefully. Walk diligently. Walk uh, uh, exactly. Walk circumspectly with, with your eyes open. Not as fools. So there's the contrast. Because the fool, right, his assistant, Indiana Jones's assistant, he was going to just kind of walk as a fool. He was going to walk right in there. He was, you know, and, and he's like, no, no, no. Don't walk as a fool. Walk carefully. Walk as a wise person. In fact, there the word fool is not the word that we normally translate for fool. It's literally, it's the opposite of wise. So the word for wise is sophos, right? You get sophistry and philosophy. The word there for fool is asophos. It's just got a little alpha in the beginning that negates it. So really, the better translation is unwise. Uh, there's a different word for foolish, but it, yeah, it's a synonym, right? Foolish. Un, if you're unwise, you're, you're a fool. It's kind of where he's getting at. So don't walk as a fool. Walk as wise. So uh, in a word, then, to walk worthy is to uh, requires wisdom. And we're going to explore that a little more when we get to verse 17. But based on what Paul here says, to walk carefully basically is to walk with intentionality. It's to, to walk deliberately. Um, Again, I keep going back to Raiders of the Lost Ark. Don't just blindly walk into the trap-filled room. You've got to walk intentionally. You've got to walk carefully. Living a holy life, which is what Paul's concerned with here. That's what the worthy walk is. It is to, to you are saved in Christ. Now it is this idea of, okay, you've got to put off those things that are associated with this world and now walk in the way that Christ wants us to walk as children of light. So that requires intentionality. That requires deliberateness, right? It requires diligence. It requires, uh, it's not something you're going to accidentally fall into, right? Anybody here accidentally walk holy this week? Yeah. <laughs> I know, I, I don't. <laughs> you know, if you're, my default mode is to be unholy. My default mode is to be short-tempered, to be ill-tempered at times, to lose my temper, my, uh, to, to kind of maybe joke a little too much at times, uh, to cover, you know, as a defense mechanism, I get defensive. That's my default mode, right? No, walking a holy life, living a holy life, uh, is again, according to the word of God, is intentional. You cannot do this haphazardly. You cannot do this unwisely or foolishly. You have to be intentional. Um, in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 20, I and mean, there's some other passages I can point to, but I just want to look at one. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 20, now the context I don't want to take this verse out of context. The context is spiritual gifts and um, prophecy and tongues speaking in the church. But 
he tells the Corinthian believers there, he says, Brothers, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice and evil, be babes. Be um, immature, if you will, in, as, as far as evil goes. But in understanding, be mature. What's Paul getting at there? Well, he's, he's saying, look, be wise. Don't, don't, don't be a child. A child is immature. A child doesn't know the ways of the world. A child has to be instructed. A child doesn't necessarily do something because he or she knows it's evil. Oftentimes, the bad things they do, they do out of ignorance. They do out of uh, immaturity. They do out of a lack of understanding. So he's like, Paul's like, look, when it comes to understanding, when it comes to how, particularly in the case of worship in the church here, when it comes to proper worship, don't be immature children. Don't be babies. Be mature. Evil things, yeah, be, be immature about evil things in the sense of don't be wise in those things. Be wise in the ways of the Lord. So, again, this requires intentionality. This requires diligence. That's why Paul here says, walk carefully. Walk carefully. <laughs> be careful how you walk. Be careful uh, how you live your life. Why? Because the days are evil. That's what he says in verse 16. Redeeming the time. You may have heard this uh, phrase used often. You know, We've got to redeem the time. Why? Because the days are evil. What is Paul getting at here? Well, Paul, and I may have mentioned this before, Paul sees the world as two ages. Okay? This age that we live in, which he calls evil, <laughs> and then the age to come, which is when Jesus comes. Now, there's an overlap of those two ages now because we are living, in a way, a new creation life. Right? Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Uh, we are to put on the new man who is being renewed after the new creation. So we are sort of caught, if you will, between these two worlds. But Paul says you need to redeem the time. Why? Because the time is short. You know, how many people here have more days behind them than they have ahead of them? I'm probably in that category now, right? A lot of us are in that category. We have more days behind us than we have ahead of us. We have to redeem the time. We have to buy it back. That's what the word there, redeem, means, to, to buy back the time. Now, he's not talking clock time. Right? He's not talking like days and weeks and months. It's, like, it's not like you can buy back time and say, oh, look, I bought a new uh, you know, whole month. I've got an extra month to live. No. He's talking about time in a sense of this is the right time now to start living carefully, to walking carefully. And, and he says the days are evil because we're living in an evil age. Um, I do want to take a little bit of time to look at a couple of passages. So the first one I want to look at is... Back to 1 Corinthians, but this time chapter 7. Now again, here the context in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul is talking about marriage. Or as the guy in Princess Bride says, marriage. <laughs> Anybody here see Princess Bride? <laughs> Am I the only one? Mark, you haven't seen Princess Bride? Oh, man. Usually I could count on you to see the movies I see. If you haven't seen Princess Bride, watch it. It's, it's arguably the best movie ever made. Um, 
I would put it on the category of best movies ever made. Okay. Anyway, marriage. Um, Paul here is, is exhorting the Corinthian believers on marriage, and he says in verse 26, um, I suppose, therefore, that this is good because of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Now, he's talking about there, you know, if you're single, stay single. If you're married, stay married. Why? Well, there, he talks about this idea of the present distress, and then he fleshes that out a little bit more in verse 29. But this I say, brethren, the time is short, so that from now on even those who have wives should be as though they had none, those who weep as though they did not weep, those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use this world as not misusing it, for the form of this world is passing away. This is Paul's two-age way of thinking. He's like, this world is passing away. So he, he's exhorting them. It's like, look, if you're... Now, he's, if you remember when we went for, through 1 Corinthians, he's not down on marriage. But he's, in his mind, in Paul's mind, he's saying the time is short. So if you're not married, it may be better that you stay unmarried because the time is short. These are evil times we live in. If you're married, he even says here, look, live even though, in a sense, as though you weren't. Why? Because this, this, the form of this world is passing away. The times are evil. I do want to turn one more passage, please. First uh, Timothy. I haven't. I haven't. I couldn't decide if I wanted to do First Timothy or Second Timothy. It's both. Both of them are in chapter four. They're both the first five verses. Uh, do Second Timothy. Second Timothy chapter four. Second Timothy chapter four. I think this one is better. When he says the days are evil, the idea here is. Things are bad and they're going to get worse. We're like, well, sometimes they do get better. Yes, sometimes they do get better. But we have to understand that the period of time that we live in, particularly if you think about the American culture and American Christianity, this this is an aberration in church history as far as the church having, for the most part, a a sort of a positive influence on the culture. Uh, it, it has not been this way for most of church history. Paul here in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he's speaking to Timothy. This is Paul. These are Paul's last words. He's about to die. And he says this to Timothy, his son in the faith. He says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Why? For the time will come when they, the people, will not endure sound teaching, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your, uh, your ministry. Um, you don't need to turn there, but I'm just going to look at the First Timothy passage there where he also says, he talks about the latter times where some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines and demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot, hot iron, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from food, so on and so forth. Paul is talking about it 
essentially the evil age we live in. And he exhorts Timothy, you've got to be diligent in preaching the word because a time is going to come and people aren't going to want to hear it. Time is going to come and they're, not, they're going to want to turn away to all sorts of things. The days are evil. And that's what Paul here says when, in Ephesians 5. You've got to redeem the time because the days are evil. We have to be careful. We have to buy back the time. It doesn't mean redeem the culture. Right? You, know, you may see this a lot from Christians today. We've got to redeem the culture. We've got you know, we to make sure we vote right. We've got to put Christians in office. We've got we to you know, take back Disney and take back all these things and so on. And so. You know, hey, if Christians want to do that, that's fine. I'm all for let's change the way Disney does things. Let's change the way some of these com- companies do things. But do you honestly think that that is what the church is meant to do? church is meant to make disciples that's our that's our mission is church as a church we are called to make disciples now do disciples have an influence in the world you bet they do you bet they do disciples have an influence in the world we are to be salt and light in this world but we are not to take over the culture as if somehow by turning this country you know if you believe it was a christian country back into a christian country if you don't believe it was ever a christian country turning it into a christian country I'm not sure what that accomplishes. It's not going to bring the kingdom a day closer. Um, we influence the culture by spreading the good news of the gospel. We influence the culture by witnessing, by loving our neighbors, by proclaiming the good news of Christ, not by taking over elected offices. Again, I'm not against that, but we have to be careful what Paul here says when he says, redeem the time. Um, in other words, the, the days are short. We have a short amount of time. We have to be careful how we walk. We have to redeem the time. We have to, whatever time we have left in this world, whatever time that is, and we don't know what, how long it is. I don't know how many days I have left. None of us knows how many days we have left. So if you don't know how many days you have left, what's, what's the best course of action? Live as if today is your last day, right? <laughs> you know, there is a... I forget the name of the song, but it was Stephen Curtis Chapman had a song uh, that talked about you know, uh, redeeming the time in that sense. The careful walk is one that recognizes the time is short. There's no time to walk as unwise, but wisely. We live in an evil age, and we must be intentional how we live and act with the time that we're given. So the worthy walk is a careful walk. It is also an understanding walk, as we see in verse 17. Uh, Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So he's drawing a conclusion, if you will, from verses 15 and 16. So what do we do? It, how does, how, you know, we have to walk carefully. What does that entail then? We have to understand what the will of the Lord is. We have to not be unwise. It's not the same word as foolish before. This is a sen- uh, the idea of being without reason, senseless. So do not be that way. right? Do not be senseless. Do not be without reason, but understand. Understand what the will of the Lord is. That, that idea of understanding is to comprehend, to set two things together. Recognize what the will of the Lord is and recognize how short your time is and thus we live uh, with understanding. Understanding. 
Again, the days are evil. We need to redeem the time. Therefore, we need to understand. Again, there's that idea of deliberateness, this idea of diligence, this idea of being intentional. You don't fall into this <laughs> waking up in the morning, right? You don't accidentally wake up and you're like, oh, I'm today, I'm wise. Oh, you know, it's, it, it's not something that happens by accident. It requires deliberateness, diligence, uh, intentionality. And he tells us, understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, we have to under, before we can understand what the will of the Lord is, we have to understand what the will of the Lord is, okay? <laughs> There's two ways to understand the will or desire of the, war, the Lord. That's what the word will there means, the lemma. It just means a desire. Um, in Deuteronomy 29, 29, Moses tells the people, he says, the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that have been revealed are for you and for your children throughout their generations. So Moses there is making a distinction between what God has reserved to uh, know and understand in, in and of himself and what he has revealed to us. So there is a will of God that is privy only to him. Right? We kind of hinted at this before. How many days do you have left in your life? I have no idea. Does the Lord know? Yeah, he knows. Is he going to tell me? More than likely not. <laughs> uh, I mean, he told Moses, yeah, go up on this mountain because you're going to die. Okay, so he tells him like he, <laughs> right when he's about to die, you're going to die. Um, we don't know the day we're going to die. Right? We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, those are things that are uh, reserved for the Lord. We don't know who the elect are. It would be wonderful if we did, because then we can just go straight to the elect and say, here's the gospel, believe, and then you know, the Spirit would then do his work. We don't know who the elect are. We don't know how many days we have. There's a secret will of God, his, his sovereign will, his, his divine will. We don't know this. What do we know? We know what he has revealed to us. What has he revealed to us? His word, right? This is the revealed will of God. That's why uh, Psalm 119 talks about this many times. How shall a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to the will of God, according to the word of God. Your word I have hid in my heart, so I will not sin against you. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That's the revealed will of God. And when Paul here says, understand what the will of the Lord is, he is talking about what the Lord has revealed to us in his word. You, know, you may have heard this before. You know, people, you know, particularly young people, right? You know, uh, I, I need to make sure I, have, I find the perfect spouse, the Lord's spouse for me, okay? You know, and and you know, they're, so they're all hung up who who the Lord has for me to marry, who the where the Lord wants me to go to college, where the Lord wants me to work. You know, that's part of His sovereign will, right? <laughs> In one sense, everything that happens is happening according to the will of God, right? Even when you don't do what is in the revealed will of God, that is happening according to God's sovereign will. But we hear Paul is exhorting us to understand what the will... I mean, there's enough here to understand, right? I think there's enough here to keep us occupied for, for, for a little bit of time, right? What do you think? <laughs> you know, I mean, I read this book pretty much every day, and I still learn new things. Uh, there's enough here to keep me occupied. I don't need to start trying to understand things that are above my pay grade, okay? The Lord has not given that to me to know. 
So I'm not going to worry about that. So understanding what the will of the Lord is, in a sense, when we consider his revealed will, it's not rocket science, right? I mean, the commands are the commands. Do not be foolish, right? Let all bitterness, wrath, I'm just reading random verses here. Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, clamor and evil speaking be put away from you. Is that hard to understand? No. Is it hard to do? Yeah. <laughs> That's the hard part. It's not the, the hard part is not understanding. For the most part, Scripture, the will of God is very clear, particularly when it's how we are to live. It is very clear. Fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, and let it not be named among you as is fitting for saints. Do I need to explain that? No. That's pretty straightforward. I'm not to engage in fornication or uncleanness or covetousness. Okay. Now, the problem is, it's not understanding it. The problem is indwelling sin. That's why Paul says in Romans 7, 18, you know, he says, Therefore I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. I know what the right thing to do is. Oftentimes I battle my flesh, and I don't do the right thing because I'm battling with my flesh, or I'm battling with the world pressing in upon me, or I'm battling with the temptations thrown my way at the devil. It's not that I don't know what the clear commands of Scripture say for me to do. I know I'm not supposed to lie. I know I'm not supposed to be angry. I get that. I, could, I don't need someone to exp Well, what does it mean not to be angry? You know, well, it's, like, it's almost one of those things. It's like, if I have to explain it to you, I'm not sure. You, you, we might have a, more, a deeper problem here, right? No, it's not that. It's just oftentimes the world catches me off guard. Something happens, and then it triggers my temper, and I lose my temper. That's why Paul says, walk carefully. If you, if you walk as a fool, if you're, if you're that dude, if you're Indiana Jones' assistant, and you just see the room there, and there's the idol, and you just walk right up to it, you're going to get pelted with a whole bunch of poison needles that are shot at you. That's the point. Walk carefully. Walk with wisdom. Walk deliberately. And then finally, he talks about it being a spirit-filled walk in verses 18 through well, 21 or 20. Where he says here, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. That's the main command. And then verses 19 through 21 give four um, ways that demonstrate we are filled with the Spirit. So speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things and submitting to one another in the fear of God. We're going to get to those in a moment, but when you put those four things together, speaking and addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord, giving thanks at always for all things, and submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord, that's the demonstration that you are filled with the Spirit. That's one who is walking a Spirit-filled life shows forth these fruits of giving thanks and singing and addressing and submitting. So we'll get to that in a moment. Now, Paul has been, throughout these, these chapters, he's oftentimes been engaging in a little bit of this, you know, put off this and put on this, right? So when he says, do not be drunk with wine, what, is, what do you think would be the, the natural opposite to that? 
Do not be drunk with wine. Do not be filled with wine. What do you think he would tell you to do? Be sober, right. Do not be drunk with wine, but be sober-minded. That's not what he says. He says, be filled with the Spirit. Now, in one of the commentaries, a guy named Brian Chapel wrote, he said, he calls this, here's a fancy word, a synecdoche. That's one of those words that you pay a lot of money to go to seminary to learn, okay? A synecdoche. Uh, it just means you, you, you are using a part to speak of the whole, okay? Uh, for example, um, you might say, um, the White House said this this morning, okay? The White House doesn't speak, right? It's a building, but when you say the White House, it's meant to uh, give you the idea of the administration, the president, his, his administration. Uh, when he says here, do not be filled with wine, he is, this, commentary, this, this commentary, and I, I agree with this, he, he's looking at wine as symbolic of all the things of this world that seek to fill and influence us. Wine is just a perfect example of that, right? Because you drink a lot of wine, what happens? You get drunk, right? <laughs> You're filled with wine. <laughs> and all of a sudden, all the inhibitions are gone, and woo, you just kind of do whatever you want. And he says, don't do that. Don't, don't be filled with the things of this world. Do not be influenced by this world. Be influenced by the Spirit. You remember, uh, that again, that great verse in Romans 12, verse 2, where he says there, do not be conformed to the things of this world, but be through the renewing of your mind, right? That's what he says there. So in 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And um, one of the popular paraphrases of that verse says, do not let the world squeeze you into its mold, right? That's kind of the idea. And here Paul's saying, do not be filled with the influences of this world. Wine is the example of that. And then he says here, instead of that, be filled with the Spirit. Now, this is one of the more interesting commands found in Scripture. Why? Because he says, be filled. Or literally, because it's a present tense verb, you could say, be being filled. Be being filled. Now, if, as I'm saying that, you understand there, there's a passiveness to this. You remember the, the difference between an active verb and a passive verb? Right? I throw the ball. That's active. I am hit by the ball. <laughs> that's passive. I'm in passive. I'm receiving the action. And that's what is happening here. Paul's like, be filled. And it's like, well, okay, how do I do that? Because I am passive in this. I'm receiving the action. I'm being filled by the Spirit. How do I do that? Well, we'll get to that in a second. But the idea here is, first of all, we already understand that we are already indwelt by the Spirit, right? If you are a believer, if you are a child of God, you are born again of the Spirit, and the Spirit dwells in you. I've got a whole bunch of verses I'm not going to go through here, but we are, uh, the, one that come, the one that first comes to mind is Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, where we are sealed by the Spirit, and He is the deposit of our guarantee. So we are indwelt by the Spirit. But here... The idea is that we need to be filled with the Spirit. He already indwells us. Now we need to be influenced by Him. How does that work? Well, it works by, as we walk by faith. It works as we walk by the Spirit. It works as we walk by the Word. Um, in a companion passage to this one, in Colossians 3, it's almost the exact same wording. 
So in, in Ephesians 5, 18, Paul there says, be filled with the Spirit. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. In Colossians 3, verse 16, Paul there says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. It's almost the same verse. So where Paul in Ephesians says, be filled with the Spirit, and in Colossians he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. If you remember in our time in Galatians, in Galatians 5, Paul there says, in verse 16, walk by the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So, be filled with the Spirit. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Walk by the Spirit. Paul will say in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, walk by faith, not by sight. So as you are doing these things, as you are walking in faith, as you are walking by the guidance of the Spirit, as you are walking by the influence of the Word, then you are being filled with the Spirit. And in a sense, it's not letting the things of this world fill you. It is instead filling your mind and your hearts with the things of Christ, with the things of the Spirit. If you want to be filled with wine, what do you do? pretty easy question. If you want to be filled with wine, what do you do? Drink wine, right? <laughs> you, you go to the liquor store, you buy a case of wine. If you want to be filled with wine, just start chugging the bottles down. You will be filled with wine, right? <laughs> that, that is a guarantee that will work 100% of the time. If you drink an entire bottle of wine, you will be filled with wine. If you want to be filled with the Spirit, what do you do? Drink the Word. Right? Now, I say this realizing that in the vast history of the church, they have not had the word in their hands. Right? We live in an unprecedented time in which if you want to be filled with the word, you just grab a Bible off your bookshelf, sit down, turn off the distractions of the word, world, and just read your Bible. Well, what did they do back in the day when they didn't have Bibles? What do you think they did? They went to, where, where, where would they go? The temple. They would go to church. They would gather together, right? That's why church is so important. That's, and I'm not just saying this to plug what I do, okay? That's why church is so important, because where else can you go and fellowship with people like us who are interested in learning from the Word? It is the church. It is the community of believers. We are in the world six days a week. All those times, if you're not somehow filling your mind with the things of the Word, then the world is filling your mind, whether it's through passively through entertainment or actively through the things that you do. You are, we, we spend six days in, every week in the word, world and one day a week in church. And as I said, we live in an unprecedented time in which we have the luxury of having the Word in our hands that we can just grab it at a moment's notice. So if you want to be filled with the Spirit, drink the Word, walk by faith. And as I said here, Paul gives us four fruit of how we are filled with the Spirit. This is what someone who is filled with the Spirit looks like. So, very careful. I don't want to say, I'm not saying do these things and you're filled with the Spirit. It's, 
You do these things because you're filled with the Spirit. If you're filled with the Spirit, what do you do? You speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You're like, you speak to them in hymns and spiritual songs? Well, it's the idea of letting, again, letting the, the Word dwell in you, and then it just comes out of you, right? If you're filled with the Word and you're knocked over, what spills out? Well, the Word, right? That's kind of what he's saying here. You speak to one another, encouraging uh, one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This is a horizontal thing. And then we're also then making melody in our hearts to the Lord. Think of all the psalms that say, you know, I will sing to the Lord a new song, right? There, you know, I will cry out to the Lord who, who hears me. You know, these are all these things that, you know, as the Spirit is filled with you, 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 you encourage one another with the word. You, you sing and pray to the Lord. You give thanks how often are you to give thanks? What does it say there in verse 20? How often am I to give thanks? All times for how many things? All things, right? Every time, everywhere, right? What does the ESV say? It says always and everything. Yeah. So always and for all things. Okay. Is there any wiggle room there? Is there... <laughs> Is there, is there like a, a way to... Well, what about this thing? Can I, do I have to give the thanks for the Lord in this thing? Yeah. How about that thing? Yeah, that thing. What about all those bad things that happen to me throughout the... Yeah, those things. You give thanks to the Lord for those things too. Giving thanks to the Lord. Why, that, again, that's an evidence that you're filled with the Spirit because one who's not filled with the Spirit, what are they going to do when something bad happens to them? They're going to complain, right? Ah, the world stinks and whatever and I hate people and I hate... Uh. <laughs> no, you give thanks always for all things to God in Christ and then submitting to one another uh, in the fear of the Lord. Again, you don't do these things to be filled by the Spirit. You do these things because you are filled by the Spirit. Spirit-filled walk is one in which we seek not to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but having our minds renewed by God's word and walking by faith, not by sight, then the Spirit will fill us. If we, if we make ourselves available, <laughs> or if we make ourselves sort of open to the things of God, the things of God will fill us. Whether that's, you know, certainly coming to church, certainly taking every opportunity you can to read your word, certainly taking every opportunity you can to pray for one another, certainly taking every opportunity you can to uh, have fellowship with one another and to show love to those outside of us. And then briefly, I just want to talk about submissive, uh, the submissive walk. I put that as a fourth point, but really it's part of the third point. But like I said, it leads into what we're going to see going forward. So I'm not going to spend too much time here talking about it because uh, it's going to carry us into verse 22 and following. But I will say this, that first of all, the idea of submission, the word itself literally means to arrange under or to arrange in order, to subordinate. So you recognize that there is uh, a, an order, there's a pattern in the world. Uh, we saw this in 1 Corinthians 11 when he's talking about head coverings. Uh, we're going to talk about it uh, in weeks to come as we look at this passage but the idea is to arrange under. And he's going to flesh this out uh, as it plays out in marriages. That's verse 22 to 33. In families, uh, between parents and children, that's chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. In 
slaves and masters. Again, this, the idea of slaves and masters there is that these are household servants. These would all be in the household. Right? These are servants. This is not, uh, you know, uh, American Civil War chattel slavery. This is not the transatlantic slave trade that we are familiar with. These are servants. These are bond servants. These are people that uh, were, in a sense, treated as part of the family. Um, so he's going to look at submission. How does that look like? It's going to look differently depending on what role you play in the relationship. Husbands and wives, parents and children, masters and slaves. But as we bring this to a conclusion, the worthy walk that Paul calls Christians to engage in is a walk of wisdom. As we walk carefully, diligently, intentionally, as we walk with understanding what the will of the Lord is, and as we walk being filled by the Spirit. And today, you know, people in the world are walking like fools, as unwise. They're not walking carefully because they're not filled with the Spirit. They are not, uh, they are part of this evil age, if you will. They are Indiana Jones's foolish assistant who just wanted to walk right into that room full of traps and grab the idol. Uh, that's how the world walks. They need new birth in order to be filled with the Spirit. They need new birth. They need the gospel proclamation to them in order for them to walk as wise people. And for us, the believer, we're going to struggle with the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's, that's, you know, that's why Paul exhorts us here. Walk wise. Why? Because we're going to struggle with it. Why? Because even though we're saved, we still struggle with the world, the flesh, and the devil. So we have to be careful. That's why he says, he urges us, be careful. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Be intentional about this. And the good news, of course, is that as we focus on Christ by faith, as we set our minds on Christ, as we set our attention on the things above, not on the things of the world, world, if we make diligent use of the means of grace, if we uh, make sure that we are in church, make sure that we are fellowshipping with one another, we will be filled with the, with the Spirit and we will bear spiritual fruit. And remember, as Paul says in Galatians 5, he says the fruit of the Spirit, and I'm going to emphasize this again, fruit is not something that you produce in yourself, fruit is something that is produced in you. You, are, you produce fruit. We do the works of the flesh. That's something that's natural. The fruit of the Spirit is something that is produced in us as we are filled with the Spirit. So I'm going to stop here because I'm at time. So um, let me close with a word of prayer and then we'll get started for worship. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that we will walk <coughs> circumspectly, that we will walk wise and carefully with understanding. I pray, Lord, that you will fill us with your Spirit as we uh, set our minds on things above, not on the things of this world. I pray, Lord, that you will uh, be with us as we worship you this morning as well. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.